Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Caleb Wojcik. Caleb is a, he's a YouTuber, but he's also a product creator, a physical, tangible product creator. He created the SwitchPod. He's an educator. He's a filmmaker. He's, he does quite a bit. And in this episode, we dive into his entire story, how he got started, how he has grown and just built his business or businesses, I guess, while somehow managing almost everything on his own with just very few contractors as needed and keeping a lot of stuff in-house, which really, really speaks to me and what we do because at Spire, Dave and I handle 100% of everything in-house. So this was a great conversation. I was excited to dive into things with Caleb. So without further ado, my conversation with Caleb Wachik. Like just to just to start out, who is Caleb? Because you do a lot. I mean, I feel a connection to you because I feel like we're very similar people just innately. So yeah, I was excited to sort of dive into your psyche a bit, I guess, and and just see if um what I believe is is in fact true. <laughs> so so who is Yeah, and I, I know uh, that Caleb? we've ran in like we ran in like similar circles too. Like oh, yeah. I've known of you for a long time, but I've never met you or talked to you before just because <laughs> I feel like the first time I find out, found out about you was uh, through the minimalists, but like through their blog, like eight years ago or something, mm-hmm. you know, cause you guys worked on the design of it and you were part of like the design team and a design team on, on other, other websites that I followed when, when I feel like when blogging was bigger before podcasting and YouTube and other platforms uh, got big or even existed. Uh, I feel like blogging was the thing. And um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming you've gone to World Domination Summit, but I never met you because I know I you've think... probably been there a bunch of years, just like I have been a bunch of years, but I don't, I don't maybe we met in passing once or twice, but yeah. I, think so I feel like it. we've been in similar yeah. circles. Yeah. Yeah. We're always just sort of crossing paths, but yeah, never got to connect before now. So <laughs> yeah. So then um, just to start out, who is Caleb? Like, what is the sort of, what are the cliff notes of the things that you do? So I run a handful of businesses right now. Uh, the first one is a video production company where I make videos for clients. Uh, I have a full-time video editor that helps me out with that. But in a non-pandemic world, I'm <laughs> flying around the country or world and and filming a lot of online courses, uh, a lot of like talking head style content. So online courses, YouTube videos, promo videos, uh, interviews, things like that is kind of what my company does most of the time. Um, but a couple of years ago, I co-invented a, a tripod called the SwitchPod, which is made for for filming yourself. It's like a smaller handheld tripod that's a grip and flips into a tripod really quickly. And so that's been taking up a lot more of my time and also bringing in more money recently. Uh, we kickstarted that about two years ago and we're in full production and, and shipping that product out. So. Those are my main two businesses that I run day to day. And then the third kind of side thing that I do is I make YouTube videos uh, and I have online courses about video production, video gear equipment, stuff like that. So to rewind all the way back to the beginning, um, I believe you were in finance. Is that what I saw before getting into this? What was the transition? Like what was the impetus to dive into the entrepreneurial world? 
I hated my job. It was, was <laughs> the, the main the main thing. And even to rewind a little bit before that, like when I was growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur and my mom had a, a nine to five job. And my dad uh, was a musician and a nice. photographer. And those are very seasonal businesses where we lived in Northern Michigan. And I saw kind of the ups and downs of cash flow and finances when you're an entrepreneur and you're in like that kind of environment where you're always looking for clients and, and looking for work. And when I went to college, I wanted the opposite of that. I was like, I just want a steady job, a steady paycheck. I wanna work for a big company that'll take care of me. I'll get my pension in 40 years or whatever, and I won't have to worry about money. Um, so I went to work at the Boeing company after I graduated college, 150,000 people. I was like, okay, this is it. I'll just stay at a company like this for my whole career and it'll be fine. Um, within a few months of that, they were laying off about 10,000 people at their company. This was in 2008 when the economy mm -hmm. took a big downturn. And I was like, oh, maybe companies aren't going to take care of me. Maybe I should take care of myself. <laughs> and that was where I kind of started learning about personal finance and getting out of debt and entrepreneurship. And I started reading bloggers like Chris Gillibo and stuff like that about like, no, you can have a different life where you don't work at a big company. And you know, from that, I started a personal finance blog through going to Chris Gillibo's event, World Domination Summit that I was talking about earlier. Uh, I met Corbett Barr, who was another blogger. And then, you know, within a year of starting my blog and going to this conference, I started working full-time for Corbett and I left my job at Boeing. And that kind of brought me closer to entrepreneurship. You know, I was working for one person instead of a 150,000 person company. <laughs> and I, I just started to learn how you make money on the internet and how other people were doing it. and after working for him and co-launching uh, co Fizzle, which was like an online entrepreneurship learning platform, um, I decided I wanted to start running my own business. And I'd been making a lot of videos working with Corbett and launching Fizzle. And that was my favorite part of my job. So that was what I started doing uh, on my own. And that was kind of what led to doing what I do now. Yeah. So prior to Fizzle then, had you done any filmmaking, uh, videography or anything like that? Not a ton. You know, there were a couple projects in middle and high school um, that involved video. I mean, back then it was you shot on mini DV tapes yeah. and then put that mini tape into a bigger tape and then put <laughs> that tape into a VCR that then transcoded onto the, the, the IMAX that had the handle on the back. So, I mean... It was just harder to do video back then. Um, and there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't even YouTube when I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, in that age, I made a handful of videos and I really enjoyed it, but th there weren't the kind of opportunities with video that there are now. Um, internet speeds weren't even fast enough, to be honest. <laughs> and then when I was in college, I actually had two uh, degrees. I have two bachelor's degrees I got at the same time. And one is in the business school at Michigan State um, for supply chain management. And the other was in the communication arts and sciences college for, uh, telecommunications. And in that major, I did web design stuff. I did video production, audio production. I worked at a TV studio for the sports director. And like, that was all the stuff that I was having fun with when I was in college. But even then there still weren't the kind of opportunities. And I had just heard from everyone, like, it's so hard to break into TV or break into movies. And those were the only two avenues at the time. So I was like, oh, I'm just gonna go use my business degree and get a safe job. And then the internet and video started to take off and stuff like that. And I kind of like moved my way back towards 
more of the creative arts. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like that those little cues, we can miss them so easily in our in our storyline when it's happening. In retrospect, it's like, oh, yeah, I did. I really enjoyed that. That was something that um, maybe now is like, oh, clearly this is where I should have should have been heading because that's how I felt with like web design. I had been doing web design since high school for clients. But when I had a job, I had no idea that that was like essentially a business. It just didn't register. And then once um, you mentioned reading Chris Gillibo and reading different things, once I had read the four hour work week, it was right when that came out, whatever, 2007 or something. It was like this switch that I couldn't unsee anymore. I suddenly realized, oh, there is an outside, like a different world than working this job that I'm not really that happy in. So it's it's interesting, though, how in retrospect we can see that. And I love that you you found your way back through through the path that you did because you were doing it through education, which we're going to we'll jump forward in a minute to where you're at um, now with the education and platforms and things, too. Um, but through Fizzle, what was what were sort of your first, um, let's say the first films, the first uh, videography type stuff that you were doing to like really hone your skills and your chops it was a combination of trying to film myself and make courses so teaching teaching stuff about Mm -hmm. google analytics or you know whatever whatever it is that our our students inside of fizzle wanted to learn so it was a little bit of that it was also filming uh we were doing these founder stories where we would sit down with an entrepreneur or a blogger or whoever and you know have a conversation with them and so I had to learn how to set up multiple camera angles for an interview and how to do audio and th- those are and lighting and that sort of thing. So those were kind of the first two. And then my wife was starting a wedding photography business at the same time. And so there were a couple times where I, well, one time I went because they didn't have a wedding videographer. And I was like, do you guys mind if I just film your wedding? Cause they couldn't afford it. And I was like, I'm just gonna do what I can. And they're like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. So I did that one time and then I used that one and that was my portfolio. And then we, I got hired a couple more times to like paid to, to do wedding videos. So those were a couple other times where I was kind of, you know, getting my chops on how to, you know, film run and gun style on the go documentary style. Um, so, you know, I used that money to, to buy more video equipment and it just kind of, you know, it still snowballs from there. Yeah, and identifying that opportunity and running with it, I think that is what sets people apart, like sets sort of the entrepreneur, like you had that innate vision to be like, oh, they can't afford it. I'm still new, but why don't I do this for them and then see what happens? Where did um, your first connection to then say uh, Corbett and Fizzle, how did that come about? Was it through your blog, through the finance blog, where you started to build your community? Well, I, my, I mean, my finance blog didn't really take off that much. I, you know, I was blogging on personal finance. I was trying to, you know, comment on other people's blogs at the time. And that was kind of the thing to try to get traffic to your site and, you know, try to do Twitter. And, you know, there wasn't as many ways to get traffic to a website as there is now. But I signed up for a, a course of Corbett's, actually. It was called Traffic School. Uh, I signed up for it a couple months into blogging. Um just because I wanted to, you know, grow my blog, and that was the thing that I thought would help me escape my job. And um, I signed up for that. I took it very seriously. There was like a cohort of a hundred students or something like that, and I was very active in the forums. Started mastermind groups with people in that community, and so I think Corbett saw how, you know, like kind of committed I was to my blog and the 
he could also see that, you know, I had some chops with WordPress and I knew how to customize thesis theme. And, you know, I understood, you know, like the blogging world and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, later in the year was when I met him, when he was asking for, you know, an assistant to hire for six weeks while he traveled Europe with his wife. And I applied for that and ended up getting that and then getting a full-time job afterwards. So that was kind of how that connection came to be. Yeah, it's. I just find it so interesting because we really have almost parallel trajectories because like in 2009, I lost my job. I jumped in. I don't know if you remember Dave Navarro. Um, he had like rock your day and stuff. I had mm -hmm. been helping him out with little things just here and there. So I lost my job. I reached out. I was like, how can I help you more? And I was in his mastermind helping other people, which then is how I connected with uh, the first uh, team that I was a part of before we started Spire. So it's like, I don't know. It's just interesting. I do feel like we're on very parallel trajectories. Timelines, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know. It's fun. So how do you end up getting from doing client services? Like you're doing, you're doing custom work for um, Pat Flynn, for uh, I think the NHL, it says on your site, and like all different, like, like big names all over the spectrum. How do you go and sort of get that rolling? at the beginning like how do you how do you sort of build that interest in your your new business i think it's a combination of uh connections and uh and proof so you know knowing knowing people is how i've gotten most of my clients i would say 75 percent or more of my clients are personal connections i had that needed video you know, it wasn't necessarily that I got to know them because I was trying to get them to be my client. I had met them at conferences. I had had them on my podcast. I had, you know, conversed with them on Twitter or got they got introduced to me through someone else that I made videos for. And so, you know, being in business school and undergrad and getting my MBA, like I always heard like how important connections were and networking. And it just always seemed sleazy to me when I worked at Boeing and we had events and stuff like, like I didn't want to like work the room and give business cards and stuff like that. But now looking at stuff like my network of people that I know and have met in person is very powerful and has enabled me to grow the business I have today. So I would, I would say the connections are very, very important. And you, you don't just go and build those quickly. You know, they're very organic. You go to a conference, there's hundreds or thousands of people there. You, you invest in like five or 10 people that you get along with or that you've randomly sat next to or have similar interests to you. You know, I met Pat Flynn at a conference in 2011 and now we have multiple businesses intertwined together and our wives are friends. So it's, it, you know, you, but I also met a lot of other people at that conference that that didn't happen. It's like what you were saying earlier, where like, you know, the dots connect going backwards, but going forward, it's hard to figure out where, where they're headed. So connections is definitely one. And then proof, you have to be able to prove that you can do the thing that someone's going to pay you to do. So, you know, I did a lot of videos for free at the beginning. Uh, I was filming videos of myself. I was filming videos inside of fizzle. And then you, you, you have, a portfolio you have a website that shows what you can do or you can you know send them a, a link to a private video of a wedding that you filmed for free or what have you so you know it, you really have to have the proof um and then you have to have the connections or you have to have some sort of lead generation either through advertising or a social media presence or what have you to, to get people to hire you mm -hmm. and i like that you said investing in people 
Like, so essentially invest in people you respect and you like what they're doing. What did that look like at the beginning? Was it because you met, you said you met people um, at conferences and things. Was it down the line? You sort of watched them and you're like, oh, I can help in this way. Let me offer this. Because I think, I think that is a huge sort of um, underutilized thing for people. They don't realize a lot of times, like, how do I make money? Where to make money, we need to help people. I mean, that's the only way we're going to get money in return. So what was, what did it look like for you to invest in someone else? Um, a combination of things. Uh, one, we talked about mastermind groups a little bit already, but I think that mm-hmm. early on for me, that was a very important thing. You know, I was in two or three at the same time, you know, investing heavily in some of those people. And, you know, some of those people went on to start very successful businesses that then hired me to make videos years down the line. Um, you know, I was in a mastermind group with Barrett Brooks and Nathan Barry very early on. They were some of the first people I met at the second uh, World Domination Summit. And still friends today. Nathan went on to start ConvertKit, which is a very successful email marketing company that I've made videos for and Barrett works there now as well. So, you know, making deep uh, connections week after week with people in a mastermind group is a good way to get to know them and to help their businesses grow. And maybe they need your services eventually is is one way. Uh, Another way would just be to just um, you know, connect people at these events or, or online. So, something I'd really try to do when I went to events was like try to connect all the people that I know. So you you might think like, oh, you guys already know each other. You guys already know each other. But like introducing people to each other at events, especially people that are new to the event or you just met them, like being being the connector in that kind of scenario is is really, really valuable. It's harder to do online, um, but it's still possible to be done. So I don't do it now as much as I probably should, but you know, introducing people to each other that have mutual interest or could partner on something or, you know, collab in some way, you know, those, those are ways that I would, I would add value to people. And then, you know, they'll, you'll be, you know, more on mind for them if, if there's a project they have that could use your services. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to jump forward a little bit. So this is all online business. This is working with people digitally in person for the filming and whatnot. But then the SwitchPod came along. That is a very different business, being a physical product. Um, like, walk us through a little bit of maybe the early stages of figuring out, like, I guess even what you wanted to create, like how the idea came about. So I was at a video conference with Pat, actually, mm-hmm. and um, we saw everyone using Gorilla Pods uh, to 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 vlog, to, to hold the camera out in front of them and, and do it, you know, kind of Casey Neistat style is someone that made that, that kind of form factor for bending a gorilla pod, this weird tripod that's made for wrapping around trees and poles uh, into like a handheld grip for, for filming yourself. And so we're at this conference, we're looking around, we're seeing all that. And I turned to Pat and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to, to do this. There's gotta be a better way to hold your camera and then set it down again. Cause I know someone like me that's very type A, like trying to get all the little balls on the Gorilla Pod legs to be perfectly in line when you set it back down <laughs> and to exactly not have your camera too. fall over. You know, like to, even when you get it to like a tripod, like a weirdly shaped tripod, it still could like fall over and not be very sturdy. Um, and they like weaken over time and they pop out and stuff like that. So it's like, there's gotta be a better way. And then 
the next person that walked up to us was uh, Richie Norton, who is a part of a company called Product. It's a combination of the word proud and product put together. And telling them our, our idea, you know, it was just like something we're complaining about. Like I complain about stuff all the time. And <laughs> he is like, we should do it. We should make it. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I didn't know. I didn't really know who Richie was at the time. Pat had, had him on his podcast. Um, so he's like, yeah, like let's, let's work on it. And I was like, okay, sure. Whatever. And then on the drive home, Pat and I are like drawing things like trying to figure out what it what would look like and what it would do. Uh, so we were excited about it at the beginning. Um, but like over the next few months, you know, Richie connected us with an engineer, had some phone calls. He started, you know, mocking up some stuff, some drawings, some 3D printed prototypes. And it started to kind of get more real and investing money into it as well. And, you know, I, I had no idea where it was kind of going, but it was, it was the ability to have some extra money, some extra free time to put towards experimentation. And, you know, I've heard... I don't even know if it's true anymore, but like Google will give you 20% of your time to like work on your own projects and stuff like that. Um, but having, having some sort of, you know, space for experimentation in your business is where ideas like this come from and, and where it kind of went from there to making more and more prototypes, getting more and more excited about it, spending more and more money on the production of it. And that just kind of snowballed into showing it to people, announcing it getting good feedback and, you know, working up towards a, a Kickstarter campaign. So beyond the time investment, what type of investment were you looking at for a brand new product? I mean, going with the engineer and doing all those things, because that's a lot of pre, pre Kickstarter, a lot of investment, I would assume. When we got to the Kickstarter phase, um, it was a little under $30,000 total invested. And now if Richie would have walked up to me when we had the initial idea and it was like, okay, over the next year or so, <laughs> let's spend about $30,000 on this idea. Pat and I had been like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I don't think I want to do that. Um, but it was, you know, like a couple thousand dollars to get an engineer and get like some prototypes. And it was like, I know, let's make some better prototypes. Like, let's keep working on this. And, oh, let's get some made out of aluminum or let's get some 3D printed out of plastic. And like all this stuff just kind of started to add up. And, um, and towards the end, we were making basically final prototypes. You know, they're 99% similar to what a SwitchBot is today. And each one of those was $1,500. And so we wow. had made four of those for the Kickstarter campaign. Um, one of them was the one that Peter McKinnon had and he made a video about it on launch day. So, you know, like it, it was a sizable investment to, to make enough SwitchPod prototypes and start to do some of the, like the logo and, and that sort of thing. Luckily, uh, a lot of the, investment was time because you know my wife is a photographer and i can i have photo chops as well i can do video production um we worked on the kickstarter page internally doing the writing doing the gifts doing all the photography the video you know pat has an audience to launch to i have an audience to launch to so a lot of that stuff was like kind of the intangible stuff of getting a kickstarter campaign off the ground is just time that we could put into it but there were you know a lot of things we had to spend money on too and having peter mckinnon have the launch video um or a video at launch was that something then again through your relationships or was this uh your first contact with him this was i mean we we met him for the first time uh, uh two or three months before and it was actually the next year at that same event we brought uh, a final prototype to that event and we were showing it to people i mean i i wanted to launch at that event. I thought it would be fun. Mm -hmm. You know, 
one year later, we come back to the event, we thought of the idea, and we launch it. There's all these video creators at this event. Well, now it's the Kickstarter campaign, and it'll be great. Um, we just weren't ready for like oh, the Kickstarter yeah. campaign and stuff yet. So we took that prototype. We knew Peter was going to be there. And if there were two people that we would want to show SwitchPod 2 before launch to get their feedback on or you know to just see what they think, it was Peter McKinnon and it was Casey Neistat. And Pat and I had both spoke at uh, the ConvertKit conference, Crafted Commerce, a few months before that. And Casey Neistat was the keynote speaker. And we got four or five minutes with Casey to show him the switch pod at like a speaker dinner. Um, and he gave us valuable feedback and he told us three different things and we changed all three of those things in the <laughs> final prototype. Um, but Peter was the other person and we had some opportunities during the event to, you know, stand in line after Peter spoke or try to get some other kind of private introduction. And I, we just didn't feel like that was the appropriate time to, to show him switch pod. And then the last night there was a like a VIP speakers only event, and Pat and I both spoke at the conference as well as Peter did, at smaller rooms, smaller crowds, but we spoke <laughs> at that conference as well. Um, and so we took the switch pod there. We were showing it to different people, and and Peter showed up at that event. And so we talked to the founder of the event, Daryl Eaves. Pat's friends with him asked if there was any way we could get an introduction to Peter as opposed to just kind of walking up to him cold. And so Daryl introduced us to Sean Holiday, who is one of the heads of space station uh, integrations and gaming, who reps Peter, you know, helps bring in advertising and partnerships on, on different things. And so Daryl introduces Sean, Sean introduces us to Peter. And we got, you know, four or five minutes with Peter to show him the switch pod. He was interested in it. He asked if he could take that one home. And I was like, actually, that's our only one. And we have a Kickstarter campaign <laughs> that we're trying to get ready for. So I need to like take pictures and stuff. And he was like, what if we make you one? They're like, they're expensive to make. But what if we make you and send you one? So we made him one and sent it to him. Um, and he got it a couple weeks before the Kickstarter campaign. And he decided to make a video about it. And then, you know, an email back and forth to say that he wanted to make a video. And I told him when we were launching. Um, and then, you know, I didn't see the video before he published it. Uh, but he published one about six hours into our campaign and had a major impact just on awareness of the campaign as well as traffic and actual backers to the campaign. Yeah, definitely. And I love that. And I love the deliberateness of how you're like, okay, Peter, Peter or Casey, they would be great spokespeople for it, but this isn't the right time. Like we, we need to find the right connection and he didn't, cause I'm sure Peter, Casey, a lot of, a lot of creators are getting inundated with just these inbound requests, but without having any rapport. And it's, um, so yeah, I just, I love, I love hearing that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I get, I get emails for random pieces of video equipment because of my YouTube channel and website. And, and I'm, I, I, I consider myself nobody. I'm a sporadic YouTuber that sometimes posts videos and doesn't have a consistent following. So I can only imagine the kind of <laughs> inbox or you know, requests that someone that is a prolific YouTuber with millions of subscribers gets. So it was it was very important to Pat and I how we got introduced, and I think that alone, us being able to like show it to Peter in a, like a private setting, explain who we are, you know, show that we're just like two creators that have this idea, as opposed to like uh, an, an email that like looks nice or has a pitch in it, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had the product too. You weren't. It wasn't just a. Oh, this is an idea. What do you think? I, like, I really liked the. I mean, making him his own fifteen hundred dollars switchbot. Like, that's brilliant. Like, a lot of times people would be probably hesitant to do so, but yeah, that yeah. that alone would was hugely valuable. And I think a lot of times people get caught up in the um, cynicism of like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But I'm always like, it's what you know. And then who you know, because you do yeah, need exactly. to build that community, build your network. And like if the switch pod wasn't, I keep like looking at it over your shoulder. So I feel like I'm always pointing at it. But um, <laughs> if it wasn't a phenomenal product, it would have been a lot harder to to get it out there and leverage and actually find the people who wanted it. But you found a need and you knocked it out of the park <laughs> in what you did. Thank you. Um, so. What does that business look like today for you? Because this is these are, like I mentioned, like two very different businesses that you're you're really like in the weeds working on every day. Uh, it's a very different business. There's a lot more moving parts than doing client work. You know, client work has a, a start and finish for for most of the the clients that I work with. You know, we. We have an idea, they hire us on a set budget, we execute on that, they pay and it's done. And if they wanna do something else, it, it, it goes from there. Uh, the, the product business is just like an always running river that sometimes has a lot of water and sometimes is slow. So it really just depends on the day-to-day of the business of, of what needs to get done. Um, I, I run the day-to-day, Pat still partners with me on the the strategy and the overall vision of the company and the bigger decisions, um, but but I'm the one that's doing customer support. I'm the one that's doing uh, retailer uh, facilitation, so landing new retailers that want to sell SwitchPod on their websites or in their stores, figuring out what they want, helping figure out you know the, the contracts and the invoicing of that and getting their, their product shipped. I'm uh, also, you know, helping to run Amazon, making sure Amazon has inventory uh, that we're not going to run out, that our listings are proper, that sort of thing. Um, do, doing the Shopify website, uh, we we relaunched it this year because, you know, honestly, the first version of the Shopify website was like our Kickstarter campaign is ending. We need to have a way for people to keep pre-ordering. <laughs> you know, whip it up in a couple of days, and then you know, last year we you know did new product photography completely redid the website, redid it with a new theme and like tried to focus on uh, speed and mobile friendly and that sort of thing because of how much traffic we were getting through mobile uh, in the Shopify analytics. So, you know, it's it's a lot of those like day-to-day e-commerce type things of, you know, developing new products, updating them to make sure that they don't have issues, dealing with the issues that the previous batch had. And, you know, it just kind of is an ongoing everyday type of thing. Yeah, and when it comes to the distribution, then do you have? Um, how does that even work? I have no idea. Is there like a manufacturer that then they ship it out? Do you have a central location you bring it to? Uh, so w- we have a manufacturer and a few suppliers in China that like work together to funnel everything through the final assembly in in China. Um, so we have an infrastructure there, and that is mainly what product has helped us with. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I. I don't I don't speak Mandarin. I don't have manufacturing experience other than when I worked at Boeing and General Motors in a cubicle. And so, you know, they're the ones that, you know, went and found factories, went and found packaging companies that could, you know, make the boxes that we want to have. But like on my side, I'm, you know, I'm still doing like QA on the 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 
product that are coming out before they do the big batch. And I went over to China with them, went to the factory, went to the packaging company, made you know the final look over stuff before they made the batch of thousands to send out to Kickstarter backers. And I designed the packaging, you know, from the template that they set over and, you know, I'm handling the UPC codes and everything like that. So all, all the logistic type stuff is what I'm dealing with. So we have a, a factory or a few in China that put the product together. And then we have a warehouse here in the US that does all of our shipments right now. Um, I found that there, you can kind of work with a, a third party logistics company that has warehouses all over, has them in other companies and th- or countries and things like that. Right now we're sticking to just a single warehouse in a single place. And our strategy is to get retailers in, in other countries th- that then sell the product. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you are handling everything down to the UPC code. And I mean, that is, that's right up my alley. It's, I mean, our business has been the two of us since the beginning. We don't hire anyone. We don't contract anything out. I know you do have um, one employee and then your wife, I don't know that she's an employee or helps out. Um, is there anyone else that you uh, work with? I guess this is the other business, um, like the Caleb Wajik uh, Films. But yeah, have you worked in like hiring? in the past? Have you had to do that beyond the one? You know, I, when I started my video production company, I wanted it to be bigger. I wanted to have like a full-time producer and I wanted like visual graphics people. And, you know, like I was going to direct or DP or something, you know, and I wanted a bunch of editors and I like, I wanted it to be bigger, but the, the scale at which you need work coming in and the overhead costs of salaries and things like that is just not something I'm super comfortable with. Um, and I've never had that much extra runway to feel like I could start to scale it up that way. And because I have my hands in different kinds of businesses, you know, doing client work and now switch pod and doing like my YouTube channel. And like, I just felt like I want to hire contractors when I need them and not have people on staff when I don't need them. So if I have a bigger production shoot, you know, I've, I've hired a, a lighting and grip truck, you know, like to, to rig up lights and do things like that. I've hired more people to bring cameras and and help me film or what have you. So, you know, th- there are times when I do scale up for certain projects, but I try to keep my businesses fairly lean uh, financially and and amount of humans wise uh, as much as possible. Now, SwitchPod is, is different in that way because we do have a warehouse and the warehouse has people, but like, I don't know all the people's names. I just know the one person at the warehouse that I can email when I have a question and they send me a single invoice. So SwitchPod definitely has more people involved at the factory, you know, assembling SwitchPods, the engineers that are there, like, but I, but at, at this scale, I don't know who they are. So it, that that's, it's like, yes, we're employing all those people, but only like part of their time, you know, cause mm-hmm. they have a business that services a lot of people. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a lot to manage all around, and um, it it really blows my mind a little bit just how much you do and how much you're involved in. And then we haven't even really touched on the creator side of things. I'm I'm curious because I I saw your conversation with your wife about how you're you're figuring out sort of what's next for that. Do you want to keep going? How, what has that journey been like since it isn't your, uh, it isn't the core of your business. It's been, it's been an, an add on, I guess. Um, I guess what was the first impetus for, uh, maybe not first, 
but for continuing and being i mean because you said you're sporadic as a youtuber but you've you've produced a lot of content through the podcast through youtube and everything like in a lot of and it's not you're not phoning anything in i mean you're producing a lot of high quality content so what what has kept you going i think initially i started putting videos on youtube because i looked for videos about specific pieces of equipment or how to do things and there weren't any good videos about them so i decided to make a video about it once i figured out that thing um so that was why, you know, a lot of my first videos are gear reviews or tutorials on how to do specific things is because people asked me how to do those things or there was no good resource for those. I feel like nowadays there's less of that. I feel like there's a video on everything and there's an opinion on everything and there's a review <laughs> for everything. Um, so what it comes down to now is a combination of making videos about things I'm interested in. You know, if I I don't get new cameras all the time, but when I do get a new camera, I'm interested in it. I've done a ton of research. I want to share, you know, what I've learned about the Canon C70 or something like that. Um, so it's a combination of like interest. It's also, okay, how, how can I make content that is going to attract the people that can then become customers in some way for the rest of my business? So I can put out videos proving that I know a bunch about video production and that'll potentially bring me clients or it'll bring me people to buy my online courses or maybe they'll end up buying SwitchPod. So, th so that's where most of my content has fallen into is the, you know, doing content marketing to prove that it, I know what I'm talking about so that people will trust me and then somehow they'll, they'll, pen, they'll pay me money either from clicking my affiliate links or watching my videos and there'll be some ad revenue or they'll buy a course or now they'll buy a SwitchPod or what have you. Um, but as, as you're describing, like, and as my wife was describing this podcast episode, you're talking about episode 100 of my podcast, which is my most recent one from like four months ago. Cause I don't know what to do on my podcast anymore <laughs> is, you know, like why, why not just make stuff you want to make? Because it is kind of the, the third wheel in the like tier of businesses I have going on. And it's only when I have what I feel like is extra time beyond doing client work beyond running SwitchPod, that I can put more effort into that business. So why not just make whatever I want to make, whether I'm really interested in the financial independence, retire early crowd or stoicism or, you know, essentialism or other isms, I guess, you know, just like <laughs> things that are, that are outside of running my business. Like what, what do I personally read about? What do I personally listen to podcasts about or, or, or do in my, my free time. So I haven't fully like gone that direction to make content about those things. Um, partially because I still feel like I could make content that would directly help the other businesses more. And I don't really feel like I need the creative outlet, but I, I would be more excited to make videos about those things. So that's, that's kind of where it comes down to. It's still something I'm internally, you know, having that dialogue with myself about. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll probably do a combination of the two. I'll probably continue to make videos that are directly related to my other businesses and also maybe just experiment a little bit because I'm not dependent on those videos or my podcast to, to bring in income. It's kind of a side effect of making those things. Yeah. I mean, it's more of that giving. It's giving 
not really expecting a return, but if there's a return because you're helping so many people, all the better. Um, and I'm just curious because I think we're so similar. After all of this time, do you consider yourself a creator or is that just one piece of everything? Because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm an influencer. I'm a this, I'm a that. Um, do you, where do you fall? Like just personally, just how you feel. I would say that I've been thinking about this recently because I will spend time like trying to figure out how, how my business is going, where it's going well, what we can do better, that sort of thing. Even more so than I'm interested in a piece of content to create or a video that I want to produce or something like that. So I would say deep down, I would consider myself a business owner before anything else or an entrepreneur, if you want to have it like a more of a sexier word. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's, that's more of what I am. Like I'm much more comfortable making sure that the business is running properly and that, you know, the finances are good and that, you know, we have like our, our plan or like our tasks is like what's next. And like, so more of the like productivity, you know, CEO owner part of the business is what I consider myself to be the best at. And when I create, I feel like that is where I'm stretching myself more to, to be on camera, to, to make something more creative. That is the stuff that is more, I don't know, like scary is the word, but I'm like, I'm, I'm growing more when I, when I do those things and I feel less comfortable doing those things. Like I, I don't really want attention. I don't really want to, post an Instagram story with the camera pointing at myself. I don't really want to post photos of me doing something or even put myself in the thumbnail of the video. Like th those are like mental barriers that I have because I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to ha have a following <laughs> or like the expectation that I'm going to put something out on the internet. I want the ability to be like, I don't want to put anything out for a month and I want to go travel and be offline. So that's where, that's where I feel like I'm more of a business owner, less of a, a creator, but I know the, the doors that it opens to have an audience online, to have an email list, to have subscribers, to email when you have a thing that comes out or to, you know, share a video about something you're interested in and get the affiliate income and get ad money and get more subscribers. And so I know the power of those things because I've worked with enough clients and I've seen enough people grow audiences and platforms on their own to, to fund their life. And so that's, I feel like I partially do it out of obligation if I'm honest with you. Oh yeah. I totally relate to that because I feel like, like over all these years, we've never really been in front of the camera in front of like social media or anything. Like what we do is we live behind the scenes. We help people optimize and improve their businesses whether it's through design and website or strategy or partnering or whatever it is so this podcast is that thing that it was just in 2020 that i was like i'm just gonna start i've wanted to do a podcast i've wanted to shoot more like do more video production and things so i was just like why don't i just start it even though like i realized just someone said something about like being a podcaster and i'm like I don't consider myself a podcast. It doesn't even register. Like I, I have this excuse to talk to cool people doing cool things. That's it. it. Just it just so happens it doesn't like resonate with me as being that. 
which I find I find it interesting because most of the people we hear about are the creator. They're the ones, like the influencers, the people who are more vocal. So I think hearing from someone else who's successful, you're doing it, you feel sort of like you have to, but maybe it doesn't it doesn't scratch the same itch as some of the other parts of your business. I think that can be really valuable to someone who might not feel like they like they fit that mold. Like I'm not Peter McKinnon. How like how do I build a business? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's well. I think there. I think there's a few different ways. Like there are plenty of businesses that you can run that are, don't have public facing stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can, you can be a private success and not have anyone know that you make a ton of money, you know, like <laughs> that you can, you can do jobs that don't require you to have your face on the internet or to make videos where you're in them or anything like that. Um, and honestly, like a lot of people don't want to run a business or be the number one or be the personality behind a, a personal brand for that matter. Like my wife had a wedding and portrait photography business and she learned like, she doesn't like being the business owner. She doesn't like being the, the the person in charge she would rather be a part of a team or you know help contribute to the businesses that i'm building you know in in the ways that she can so you know like it it comes down to personality and it comes down to what you want to to do but I i don't think you have to do those things but like i was saying earlier it does help to have an audience in some way so even if that's just a blog or an email list or a social media following that is text-based like Twitter or something like that, those things help. Like those things can't hurt you to, to get less sales of an ebook that you launch or a, a video show you want to have or a podcast. So it, you know, putting yourself out there, making content and, and, you know, connecting with different people, it's, it's just a multiplier of what you're able to do. And so that's why, that's why people do it. Um, some people do it for the fame and the money, but I think a lot of people uh, should be doing it just because, you know, it's it's the way to network online with and, and find more people that can hire you or you can hire them and and stay stay working together. Yeah, definitely hugely valuable for sure. Trying to, I want to find that for us. Figure out where that balance lies, and I feel like you've you've had the balance, but now you're you're. Uh, at times it felt like the balance was right for you. It feels like, um, and now you're trying to figure out where you want to, uh, go with it. Have you had any further thoughts on what might be next? Any videos that you're working on or podcasts, like a new premise for the show or anything that, um, you sort of see being in the works for that side of things. I mean, looking, looking at my podcast directly, um, it, you like effort to, to results. It's, it's more fun for me. Like, like I enjoy when I do my podcast and I do interviews with people and I have conversations and I just, I don't get the downloads and I don't get the views that I would necessarily hope to get or make it necessarily worth my while. So when I do one of those, it's for fun and I don't care about the results because I don't get, it's either I don't care about the results. So I don't get the results or I don't get the results. So then I don't care about them because I didn't get them. (laughs) Um, but Regardless, um, so like with with the limited amount of time that I have more recently with, you know, having SwitchPod take up more of my time, having a one-year-old daughter now, like those types of things limit the amount of extra time that I do have. And so 
I, I do still want to serve um, the audience that I have been building and put out more courses, like more, I'm trying to put more effort into things that can help people in a, people in a deeper way. Cause I think there's enough people on YouTube making free tutorials about like how to do fancy transitions and a lot of like slow motion B-roll and things like that. And there are people that are better at those things than I am. And I feel like I am good at certain things and I can teach those things to people that don't necessarily want to make the sexiest, most viral videos, but people that want to put video into their business and, and get more leads or create online courses or what have you. So I'm more trying to put my effort into courses that can help those people at prices that can help those people. So uh, working on a course for, you know, how to film your online course, because that's kind of been our bread and butter of showing up with authors and entrepreneurs and startups and things like that, that want to create an online course. And so we've filmed, I think over 20 of them at this point wow. for different people. And so I have a lot to, to share about that. So we're working on a course for that, that should come out later this year. Uh, but it, that's, that's kind of the thought process I have where I, I don't have the time or energy or the, the need for money to, to go and make what other people are making and trying to beat them at it, like trying to compete with other people that are making certain types of content. So I need to just focus on what I already know and teaching it well to the people that are already in my audience or that I can already be connected to and, and see how that goes. And that's kind of the, the thread we're going to run down for the next year or so. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. It's the build one, sell twice mentality because really you don't want that one-to-one -one where you're helping one person or one team or whatever and then, okay, start over. It's so much more valuable. So I don't want to take too much of your time. This has been awesome. Like, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Where should we send people to check everything out? Uh, my last name is hard to spell. So <laughs> I also have the domain. Uh, I have the domain calebw.com. So oh, you don't nice. have to spell out my last name. Uh, but calebwagic.com is my uh, is my main website that has a lot of like my video uh, production tips and tricks and courses and gear recommendations and stuff like that. That's kind of the best place to, to find out about me there. And then switchpod.co is where you can find out more about uh, the tripod. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks for having me. A big thanks to Caleb for joining me on this episode. Be sure to head on over to calebw.com to see everything he's up to. And as always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. Built is our platform for helping you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O to get started. Built. Your website. Built for you. Simply. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. There's also the video version on YouTube where you get to see Caleb's smiling face and his beautiful set. I really liked what he had set up there. Um, but just head on over to youtube.com slash Jeff Saris to find that. And that'll do it again for this week. I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.